And we're live. Hi and welcome everyone to our fourth session of the Tech Talk Travel Collective My Speed series, which are focusing on the meetings and events industry. My name is Leah Jordan and I'm co-founder at Tech Talk Travel. And alongside my wonderful co-host Rita Machado, Vice President of Sales and Marketing from Great Hotels of the World. Hi Rita. Hello Leah, good to be here. Yes, yeah, good to see you. And we're super excited for the next 45 to 60 minutes to come with all of you. So stay with us. It's going to be super interesting. And before we introduce our panelists to you and dive into what we're talking about today, please make sure to say hi, say hi to everyone in the session, to us in the comments section, connect with each other. Um, and also during the conversation to come, make sure to add your comments, your views and your questions. We will make sure to cover them. Is If there's anything particular for a person in the panel, make sure to tag them so we can also follow up later on. And well, for this format, um, we have many people returning to the session. Thank you for being with us again. Um, but for everyone who's with us for the first time, this series, the collective MySpeed sessions are co-hosted in partnership with our um, um, founding member, Great Hotels of the World, who are leading representation company for independent upscale and luxury hotels. And what we'll talk about today is what the US market data and also a bit of Middle East and Asia Pacific data, as Christy um, let shine through. Um, what is it telling us about the return of the MICE business and how can technology support hotels to win more groups business? faster. So that's what we're going to discuss today. And we invite all of you in the audience to join us actively in the conversation. Um, so make sure to use the opportunity and use the comment section. We're streaming live on LinkedIn and YouTube. And this session will also be available later on on demand on all channels of Tech Talk Travel and Great Hotels of the World. And now, Rita, we have two extreme, extremely knowledgeable industry experts joining us, and they will share their expertise and insights with us. And I'll start with the queen of data. <laughs> um, well, she is, right? That's why we re-invited her. It's not the first time she's with us. So Christy White, who is Chief Product Officer at Noland. And Christy. Hi. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever been called a queen, but I think our VP well, of marketing is currently on. And in case she's watching Katrina, that is now how I would like to be addressed. Right. We add that to your bio. I already, yeah. already talked about this behind the scenes. We'll add it to your bio. <laughs> it's all official now. I mean, everyone knew already anyways. <laughs> I know, but I feel like I want that's internally in the company. That's now how I, how I now wish to be addressed. Yes, yes, with all the benefits coming with it, right? Yeah, I want the royal we. I want all of that. This is it. That's yes, it. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking your royal time and share, uh, sharing this with us today here. Um, tuning in all the way from the U.S. And absolutely wonderful to have you. And for everyone in the audience who's not familiar with Noland, no as probably many are already, but still I'd like to cover that quickly. Noland is a leader in artificial intelligence, AI-powered group business data for hotels, convention, and other meeting venues. And they are clearly advocating and powering a proactive group sales strategy. So that's your partner in crime if you are about proactive sales in the my segment, correct? Yes, that is correct. That's what we no, do. Beto, that's with, good. with more artificial intelligence coming next year, we're super excited about some of our roadmap on that. Super excited about that too. So, and then we have an we have another expert joining us. It's for the first time and we're super grateful he has the time to actually join our discussion. It's Dan Hamby. Hi, Dan. Hello, everyone. How's, how are you, ladies? It's great to have you as the single man in our round. That's right. It's, well, I'm honored to be alongside the queen. What can I say? <laughs> 
happy to have you. Dan Humby is the Vice President of Sales at Group Screen at 60, and he's tuning in from the UK. So we're here from the US, from Lisbon, Portugal, from Barcelona, Spain, and from UK. And for everyone in the audience who doesn't know Group Screen at 60, Group Screen at 60 is the marketplace for meetings and is a distribution channel to offer real-time group availability. We'll talk about this a bit later as well um, for both rooms and meeting spaces. And your number one priority, Dan, is what you share with us, is transparency, simplicity, and objectivity um, for group booking. So um, that sounds very interesting. And I'd say we dive right into the content to cover. So I hand over to you, Rita. Thank you, Leah. Well, we've got quite a lot to cover in our session. Um, it's a fascinating topic. And we'd just like to start by setting the scene with the trends we're all seeing and impacting our business. Um, meetings are coming back. Christy's here from the US to share that with us. In Europe, things are slightly slower, but from the UK, we're growing, growing. Um, and clearly, there are trends that we need to bear in mind. Yes, shorter lead times um, really cuts in resources, both on the hotel side and on the meeting planner side, and what impact that has. Um, clearly a need for increased efficiency, automation may be a solution, and that's what we're going to discuss. And really, um, the, the reality is we're seeing a great deal of smaller meetings, um, and that feeds right into uh, Christie's uh, data coming straight from the US, um, telling us how things are going there in the recovery. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen if you guys don't mind and, and share some data because apparently I've been, you know, said I'm the, the queen of data. I hope everybody can see my screen. So when we were here, oh God, it was back in the spring, I feel like, right? That's that's yeah. that's the time frame. Yeah. So when we were here then, you know, I shared a, or talked about a meme that I had seen that I absolutely adored that talked about how we're we're all in the same storm, but we're not necessarily in the same boat. And at that time, I would have said Europe was in a leaky boat nearing capsizing. However, the last few months, Europe has proved me wrong and is now edging closer to the US. So two things are happening in this recovery that I never expected. The first is rate is recovering ahead of occupancy. This is my fifth economic downturn, and I've never, ever seen this happen. We finally learned our lesson about discounting and that it doesn't work. And this phenomenon, and phenomenon, while it's happening everywhere, it was first seen in Europe last summer, and it was, and it's now spread to the rest of the world. So well done, Europe, on bringing this new phenomenon to us in how we recover in an economic downturn. And then the second is in prior downturns, and those five downturns that I've been in, it's always started in APAC, spread to the Middle East, Europe, and then finally the U.S. And then recovery has happened much the same. This time around, it started that way and then pulled back. Now the U.S. is leading the charge. Europe is following closely, and hopefully we're going to see the Middle East and APAC following along. So we're going to look at those numbers and see how they're unfolding. Now, I didn't actually bring in the APAC and, du and Dubai numbers, this uh, APAC and Middle East numbers this time, because I'm more excited about what's happening in the United States and in Europe. Um, the European, the Middle East and APAC have actually fallen behind just a little bit. So they were a little less interesting for this conversation. So the U.S. had a very strong summer driven by pent-up leisure demand. Year-to-date through the end of, the, of August, the U.S. capture rate has, uh, has recaptured more than 80% of demand. So for those of you who aren't familiar with this particular metric, all we do is take this year's occupancy for that period and divide it by 2019. We are using 2019 as our benchmark in there 
to determine, you know, how much of that demand from that 2019 period have we recaptured? So at the end of August or for August, the U.S. had recaptured 87% of that demand, which is a pretty significant number. Year to date, the number is slightly lower at 82.3, but this is a really good sign for the U.S. And we've had some cooling and stepping down, stepping into September, but the last two weeks, occupancies have increased to near summer highs. So despite all the news about Delta, we're actually seeing things move in the same in the right direction. Now, looking at the two gateway cities, you're going to, and I only pulled two in for today. I'm happy to share anything else with someone if they just want to reach out. I'm looking at Miami and New York, those Eastern East Coast gateway cities, and they are a tale of two different cities here. Um, Miami was able to take advantage of pent-up demand early in the year, and they came close to matching 2019 number, 2019 occupancy numbers by midsummer. The last couple of months, they have cooled. Some of that is due to political issues in Florida and their um, their their capture their their infection rates because of Delta. But they're still doing quite well. August they captured 80% of the of the of the 2019 demand, and year to date they're actually better at 84.2%. Now, if we look forward into New York City. This is the opposite side of the, the, the spectrum. New York struggled early in the year with restrictions they had in place. However, as things have reopened and business travel has returned, the market has stabilized and is holding pretty steady. Keep in mind, this market gets approximately 15% of its overall occupancy from gateway travel, which is still heavily diminished. And that's likely to remain so until the latter part of 2022. With that said, by August, they'd recaptured almost 60% of the demand. Year to date, they're down a little bit more than that at 47.5. So now we're gonna jump across the pond and take a look at Europe. Taking a look in Europe, and you see how it's shifted in these last few months. More than a 20-point increase in occupancy over the summer. So the region as a whole did extremely well. What does that look like as we take it down to the market level? So capture rate in August, it's seven, almost 73% of 2019 demand, which is phenomenal when you think about where you guys were sitting in March and April. And year to date, you can see where those earlier months impacted at 40%. But taking that step forward and looking into Berlin, so this is the star of the region, capture rates for August are near 75%, while the year-to-date number is low, there's still significant improvement, and hopefully this trend's going to continue. Looking into London, London has also seen a significant uptick. Capture rates are for August are at 60%, and year-to-date is a little bit better than Berlin, but still quite low at 33%. Moving on to Paris, so they haven't fared quite as well as Berlin and London, but they're moving in the right direction with capture rates at 47% in August and year-to-date at 23%. Moving on to Rome, now this was one of the hardest hit markets last year. It was also hardest hit earlier this year, and it's still running slower than the other markets, but things are moving up and to the right, which according to our CFO is the right way for things to go. Now with occupancy numbers and those capture rates at 45% and 21. So now with those occupancy numbers out of the way, and I hope that kind of helps you understand why I'm really excited about what Europe and the US are doing at the moment. We're gonna look at some things and this is strictly from a US perspective, but they also show that positive movement. And this is why I'm so excited where we are as an industry right now. So I borrowed these numbers from our lovely friends at Amadeus. On the left are the numbers for uh, weekly numbers for airline and hotel bookings. So um, this is right at the beginning of the pandemic. We were averaging about 8 million bookings per month, uh, per week 
for airlines and about 7 million bookings for per week for the month, or, sorry, for hotels. Now, this is looking at any booking for any future stay into the thing that are booked during a specific week. Now, the, the pandemic comes along and we actually, we know what happened there. Over that period, cancellations outpaced bookings for the most part. Now, fast forward to the most re recent week. Based upon what we see in the news, one would expect a dip, a, a bit of a dip. However, we're seeing an uptick in these numbers. Hotel bookings are at a 70% capture rate from where they were pre-pandemic, and airline bookings are at a 46, 3.3% capture. Now, an interesting thing to note on here is that year to date, so the TSA is the security the Transportation Security Administration. They monitor every flight that's coming in. So it's the people that are passing through those security channels. Um, the TSA throughput, and this is through the end of, well, actually yesterday, I think is when I calculated these numbers, are at 76.9% of 2019 levels. The, I'm sorry, 47% early in the year, we were kind of low, but the summer months were at 76.9%. And through yesterday, September ended the month at 76.3%. So only off just a little tick from the summer months. That is normal. We typically see air traffic lower during the summer months. But October, as of yesterday, is at 80.8% of 2019 metrics. And those are incredibly good indicators and things moving forward. Um, looking at it from a lead time perspective, uh, uh, we talked about that earlier. This is again barred from our friends at Amadeus. Booking windows are still extremely short across all of the segments. A couple of things to note, discount is one of the few segments with a booking window in the 15 to 30 category. And this is likely due to the highly effective rate strategies hotels have been employing. So basically consumers have decided if they see a discount, they're gonna book it because it may not be there in a day or so. The second interesting thing is the appearance of negotiated. While the booking window is still very short, we see negotiated returning into each of these categories. So this does show that BT is returning to the market not anywhere near the volumes that we're accustomed to, but it's most assuredly returning to the market. Now, stepping into segmentation, I actually broke this into sort of the first half of the year and then the last uh, 12 weeks. And we've seen an escalation in not only the number of meetings, but also a shift in the type of meetings. So in those first five months of the year, corporate was the leader of what we saw. We've actually seen this almost since the beginning of the pandemic, but it keeps continuing to grow. And where this gets interesting is in the last 12 weeks, we've seen corporate explode while Smurf is receding and association is beginning to come on strong. And these are both strong indicators that things are moving in the right direction. And you might wonder why. Well, there are two reasons. Corporate business drives most of the group business for hotels, at least non-resort hotels. And additionally, association, at least in the United States, is typically the last to recover. Meetings in this sector tend to be more reliant on discretionary spend from attendees and or the companies that they work for. So to see them lift up this much in the past 12 weeks is a strong leading indicator of what's going on in the market. So the next thing that we took a look at is inside the corporate segment and all of those different industry segments that combine to make the corporate market segment. And the goal was to understand how much of the demand from 2019 has been recovered. With the exception of a few segments, so the orange line is, 29, uh, is where we were in the first five months. So with the exception of a few segments, most of these were below 30% cut recovery. 
However, over the past 12 weeks, these numbers have doubled across most of these segments. While we're nowhere near recovered, this is most assuredly moving the right way. And in the corporate segment, we have recovered from a meeting perspective about 40% of that overall business. Um, the next kind of fun one is the tremendous improvement in the size of space used and the number of attendees. So anyone that was with us in the spring when I was on, you knew that we were seeing average square footage that was vastly larger than what we were actually seeing in 2019. So almost, a, you know, a good five, 600 square feet, but the number of attendees were vastly lower. In the last 12 weeks, we've actually seen the amount of square footage used come down. It's still larger than what we were seeing in 2019, but it's come down dramatically. But what we're actually seeing is the number of attendees in August for the very first time went ahead of 2019 averages. And for the month of September, we have a press release coming out later today. This number has gotten even bigger and the average is sitting at 110 attendees. And the reason that's a good thing is it means that people are relaxing and they're getting more and more comfortable meeting in large groups. And that is a great leading indicator for our industry. Uh, from a top market perspective, first five months, so I broke this in the US, um, Smith Travel, if anyone's familiar with that, top 25 markets, we, we understand what those are, and then we break it into secondary markets. So those are, um, they have good lift, but they're not a top 25, and tertiary markets that tend to be predominantly drive markets. In the last 12 weeks, we've seen that shift dramatically, so that we're now actually seeing 61% of that business into the top 25. Those markets were lagging significantly. And for the U.S., we need those markets to recover in order for the, the economy as a whole to recover. But where this gets more interesting, is there a question? I'm sorry. Okay. Where this gets more interesting is looking in those, those markets. So everyone that you see circled here, these are markets where they've had significant shift for the first five markets, five, five months. That was the position they were in and now where they are. And the most interesting one on here is the Chicago market. In the first five months of the year, they were in the number eight spot. In the last 12 weeks, they've rebounded to the number one spot. Why that's super important is Chicago was heavily, heavily restricted and they were on lockdown until about March, late March, early April. So to see them rebound, Chicago is the single largest meeting market in the world. So to see them rebound in the space of the last 12 weeks is a phenomenal uptick for everybody. And those are, that's the data. So I will stop sharing and we can have a lovely conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thanks, Christy. Thanks so much for this fascinating data. Um, uh, Dan, with Groups 360, what do you see the opportunity being for hotels in this, in this landscape of recovery, albeit, as uh, Christy showed, staggered recovery depending on the destination, but we're all aware that this is the perfect time to plan for the recovery. Yeah, and uh, really encouraging to hear me. I think if, if I learned one thing from listening to that, Christy, it's that data always trumps the anecdotal. And we've been hearing whispers in recent weeks about the Delta variant in the US and giving cause for concern, perhaps another wave of cancels and rebooks. The great thing is that's not translating into the data. So, um, yeah, that's really encouraging. And obviously here in Europe, we are beginning to see those signs coming through, which you backed up with those numbers. We're beginning to see borders reopening. We're beginning to see a bit more consistency in the measures required to sort of travel across borders, whether that be testing requirements, proof of vaccination, 
all of these things are combining to really enable our industry to to get back on its feet. So, yes, all of the the hoteliers among us are sitting there saying, how can I sort of leverage that and ensure that I'm well positioned to um, sort of take advantage of it? But I think we've almost got to take a bit of that data and back it against some of the trends that we're seeing right now. Um, and that I think will sort of lead me in long with way to answering your question, Rita, but there's a couple of things in particular, I think it's really hard to ignore right now, in particular, the labor shortage that the industry is, is going through. And I should say, it's not specific to our industry. Um, okay, maybe it's more accentuated in our industry, but there are many other verticals that are, are suffering for the same thing. But you know, it, it's really saddening to me to see hotels running at reduced occupancy, hotels having to turn away business because they can't deliver on it operationally because of the shortfall uh, in the workforce. Uh, I mentioned that it's not unique to our industry. Sitting here in the UK, it's easy to think it's unique to our geography. And yes, there are some unique factors here in the UK, but it's not unique to our geography. This is spanning many markets across the globe. And you know, I don't know if we could take comfort in that, but that is the reality that we're facing. And quite frankly, it's hampering hotels' ability to recover and take advantage of this demand that's coming back. I think there's a couple of things to sort of take a reality check on. One is that demand was always going to lead recruitment, and that's true of any industry. There needs to be signs of recovery, signs of demand coming back before you can begin to build your, um, your workforce uh, back up. So there was always going to be a lag in demand returning, and then those businesses who have downsized sort of going through that right-sizing exercise. But we're really past that point now, and we are seeing that you know there is this sort of glut of vacancies within our industry which as i say is hampering hotels ability to recover um i think my, my parting thought on this one is to bear in mind that this applies not only to suppliers but also to buyers as well so going full circle back to your question rita i think there is a collective need to find efficiencies in how we operate specifically within the group groups and meeting segments. Everyone is operating with less resources, whether you be on the supplier or the buyer side. So it's really time to reassess how we're operating, what are the processes we're following and how can we use that to our advantage moving forward. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, if, if I'm sitting on the hotel side, which, which I am with great hotels of the world, we have hotels at varying stages of recovery in various destinations, typically independent hotels, um, for whom this move into a more automated um, form of managing bookings is, is a big step, right? And I can just hear our hotel members saying, yeah, right, let's invest in technology when demand is really just starting. How can I go to my GM and say, yeah, let's invest in this group's uh, technology, the first thing I'm going to get is, so how many groups are out there and why can't you manage them? And we all know that, um, you know, our, our hotel teams are stretched. They're doing just about everything. They're not just groups anymore. They're managing everything, just as the planners are managing everything. Christy was saying earlier on that, um, you know, we've moved from meeting planners to people planning meetings. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a true statement. It's they were as devastated as as our industry were, because if there are no meetings to plan, why are they keeping 
these people that that was their sole function in the organization to do? Why are we keeping them around? So, you know, at least here in the United States, that what we're seeing is we're no longer dealing with the third party planner or the 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 even the planner in house that was doing it. We're suddenly dealing with, you know, Susie, who's the plant manager or the president secretary who's also planning these events. Another interesting thing, and I heard this at a conference in August here in the United States, was it's the first time in our history that risk management and the lawyers are suddenly in charge in wh of whether or not a meeting is going to happen. So we as hoteliers have to give these people who are planning meetings, not the meeting planners, the people planning the meeting, the tools that they can go back to risk management and the lawyers and get them over the hump to have the meetings. Um, and just like anything in life, the first time is the hardest. But once you do it, once you get that, that person planning the meeting past it and get their lawyers comfortable, that next time, they're, it's they're going to be it's it's so much easier to do it the second time. So we have to get that whether that's talking about the vaccination rates of employees at your school at your at your at your property or even in your city. We're hearing from meeting planners that they're actually canceling meetings in cities in the United States that have higher infection rates and lower vaccination rates and moving into markets that have higher percentage of vaccination rates because they're doing everything they can to make sure that their employees are protected being around one another, but they're not going to take them and drop them into a hot spot in an area that has low vaccination rates. So making sure that you understand what your policies are there, how your employees are keeping people that are visiting your hotel safe, but more importantly, how your destination is doing the same and being able to impart that wisdom to the meeting, the person planning the meeting is just, that's just one step further that you're going to get them past risk management. I have a question here that fits perfectly right now, because now you talked about the meeting planners behavior within the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the travelers in the U.S., potential leaving U.S. and traveling to Europe or any other destination, Erica, thank you for joining Erica. Booksy is joining us from Noland, and she's asking, how do you see U.S. travelers' confidence to start traveling outside of the U.S. anytime soon? Do you have um, any indication there? Looking at my, this would be, I'm going to go into the anecdotal. I'm looking into my friend circle. They have literally no issue because I swear our entire friend circle have been to Mexico um, or one of the Caribbean islands in the last, I would say, six weeks. Um, I'm probably a little bit more trepidatious about traveling to Mexico or the Caribbean because they are listed as hotspots. But I'm supposed to be on vacation this weekend. My husband's entire hotel has COVID. He's been kicked out of the house um, until everything is resolved. And he provides me with two negative COVID tests. Um, so I'm now going, I can go to London for the weekend. I can always go to London for the weekend. So personally, I don't have a problem with it all. I'd hop on a plane tomorrow. And I'll be perfectly honest, I may never take my mask off on a plane ever, ever again, because I haven't been sick, knock on wood, um, since before the pandemic. And I, I, I think the road warriors, the people that are comfortable traveling in general, are not going to have the issue. I think where some of the trepidation lies right now is not understanding the policies to get home. And so because we from a lot of these destinations, we're still requiring that you have a negative um, test uh, within, I think, two days of traveling. Where do I get that negative test? Am I going to get my results back in time to get on that plane? Um, point, yeah. So so that's, I think, where more the anxiety is than the necessarily the concern that I'm going to be infected. Um, it's it's that piece of what if, what happens if I don't get my test results in time to get on my plane?
Yeah, it's just a and struggle, just, right? Yeah, because it's it's very fragmented too. So yeah. also if you look at if if you look at the, the good numbers from Europe, you still have to consider it's a very fragmented market, right? Yeah. And they're very right. dependent also mm -hmm. from international and over travel overseas. So that's yeah. very interesting that yeah. aspect actually. Dan. Yeah, just yeah. To, to add to Christy's comments there, right? I think to her point, confidence is almost like the last piece here and it's separating out the controllables. You know, we needed all throughout the pandemic, we've needed air corridors to be opened up. We've needed the airlines to put capacity back in. We've needed government regulations to actually enable travel cross borders. And then one of the last pieces is certainly within our corporate space, we need them to adjust their policies to allow their travelers to travel. Right. And we're still not quite there yet, I don't think, with that last piece. But confidence has sort of organically grown as we've been waiting yeah. for each of those pieces to fall into place. So yeah. yes, you know, travelers, business travels, travelers, they're going to cross the spectrum in terms of comfort levels. And I think employees are going to, employers are going to need to be mindful of that. But for me, I think confidence has organically been growing uh, throughout this whole process. Yeah, the, I, I would also add, I think some of the reason that I, our friend circle has been going, been comfortable going to Mexico and, and into the islands is because the resorts they're staying in have testing stations there. Um, so they can actually just wander down to the lobby the day that they need to do the test and they're getting the results in time. I, uh, from people, I know from myself, I was when I was looking at doing London this coming weekend, that was my concern is I couldn't find a hotel that offered the testing at the hotel. And now I have to go source on my own a place to get a test and hope that I get it back in time. And I know I live in Texas, so I'm probably not a really good thing because, you know, we had COVID in March of 2020 for like two weeks and then our governor said it was gone and, and it's all good. And it's the wild, wild west stuff in this state. But um, um, like it's, it's very difficult to get a place here to get a COVID test. Uh, I have a stack about yay high of at home tests that I can take just if I need to, because it's easier than trying to get in somewhere to get a real test unless I go to my doctor. Um, so that was the, I think there's that. So I think if, if as a, as a species, if we can work out that piece of it, I don't think anyone's uncomfortable about hopping on a plane and going back to Europe. It's the, how the heck do I get home when I, um, when I need to get home? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and Pedro Colaco, who's also joining us, CEO of Great Hotels of the World and Guest Centric, he says that they see international travel has recovered to 50% of 2019, which is actually very good numbers, right? If you consider yeah. just, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, right. And then there's another question I'd like to add here is from Gregor Rummel, who's joining us as well. Hi, Gregor. Thank you for tuning in. And he has a question for Dan. Uh, Dan, how do you see the difference in confidence, especially between the UK and the rest of Europe, um, for example, Germany? Um, and do you think this is government driven, if so? Yeah, so to draw maybe on, on Christie's point, the ease of, I, th I still don't think we're quite there yet in terms of consistency around the measures when you are traveling and particularly getting back into your own country we've we've definitely made headway there in europe in recent weeks and i think as we get more consistency you're probably going to see that aligning with confidence across the region uh, i have to say again anecdotally i was really encouraged last week uh, it was the business travel show and the meeting show in london and I was actually really surprised at the international representation there, primarily from across Europe. But there was definitely a pent up demand to travel, to meet face to face. It was, I came away really energized about the prospects for our industry. 
Uh, and that goes both for domestic travel, but the first signs that international travel is, yeah. is really opening up. So, yes, I think I, I don't know if I've answered the question directly there. Yes, there are some inconsistencies. And I think government is just one factor as to why that is. Uh, I think you could look at the uh, regulations that different people in different territories have had to work with throughout the last 18 months. And that will probably have impacted how they feel about travel. Mm -hmm. But I think you'll see that sort of confidence aligning more and more as we get consistency yeah. around regulation. Yeah. Also, um, thank you, Dan. Just bringing back, going back to your um comment about the meetings show and the business travel show. And we attended the meetings show, so a great face-to-face -face event. And the reality is on the, on the day, we received several booking requests. So firm, firm requests for groups in different locations throughout Europe, in our case. Um, so clearly, uh, pent-up demand is there. Um, but what we're hearing from our hotels is, as Christy was saying, although the numbers in terms of number of attendees are going up, they're still a lot lower than they were, and the challenge with constant changes and cancellations. And that, that's really a hurdle that our teams in the hotels face, um, managing that pipeline and justifying, because it's very difficult to explain this, even within the same team in the hotel, explaining exactly what's going on with first refusal, second refusal, constant changes um, back and forth, sometimes to the hotel's benefit. So we've seen a lot of groups that have sort of cancelled saying, no, I can't wait anymore. We really need to meet. Is it still available? Can you take me? And then yeah. it all goes back. And clearly um, our hotels are suffering from working as they did three or four years ago in terms of processes. So essentially offline. And when there is an online, it's an RFP process, which is sort of somewhere around the 80s, that is a total nightmare to manage. So how do you see that evolving um, with, with you know, technology? What's the difference, essentially? Yeah, so I, I think we are at a sort of crucial juncture now. Um, you sort of alluded to online booking there. That, that's a key part of our mission. That existed pre-pandemic. If anything, it's been accentuated through what's happened through the course of the pandemic. The trends that sort of act as the backdrop, I talked about the labor shortage. Um, you've talked there about small meetings. They were always going to lead the recovery. I don't think that anyone's been under any illusions there, but equally, they've always been a pain point. You go back pre-pandemic, those high touch, low return meetings have always been a pain point. They continue to be, and it's been accentuated because there's more of them now, or they're making up a greater proportion of the mix. Equally, shorter lead times, you know, that is something else, just like small meetings, it was entirely predictable. You know, I think we would have all been under the impression that was going to be the type of meeting business that drove the recovery. Um, but we're now in this position where inquiries are coming in shorter lead, buyers don't have the resource to be chasing hotels, hotels are swamped with inquiries buyers can't afford to wait for responses. So it's critical that suppliers have got sort of process and a defined strategy about how they're gonna prioritize lead response. Right. We appreciate they can't get to everything right now. That's the reality of the situation, but at least have a defined approach to how you're gonna try and prioritize you know, your responses with what you can get to. But you know, all of those trends really speak to the need for kind of online booking, if you will. Um, and if we think about the way 
that we've shopped for anything else in travel going back over as far as the last 20 years when the first OTAs came about. You look at the way you shop for a flight, you shop for an individual hotel room, you shop for car hire. We've been, you know, there's been a digital transformation in our industry spanning many, many years that just has never got to the groups and meeting space. You know, you look at the way we shop for anything else in our daily lives, whether it be a simple purchase on Amazon or even a car or a house. We've been trained that we can do all of those things online. If it comes to booking a group or a meeting for 10 people, you, you can't do it. You certainly can't do it at scale today. So you said it yourself, Rita, you know, our particular sector is really outdated in the way that we operate and the processes we follow. So this is a real key juncture for us now. Um, I'll tie in another trend that uh, I think Christy highlighted about the change in the buyer profile. You know, increasingly now and in the future, we're going to be welcoming a new generation of meeting planners into our sector who are going to have a certain set of expectations around how they can book and operate. So all of this leads me to say technology, we have to be embracing technology. Uh, we have to be embracing sort of this digital transformation. Yeah. Now, I will say it's only right for a certain profile of meeting. We're not saying that all meetings should be booked online. We're really focused on the small and simple end of the spectrum. Right. But what I'm not going to do is sit here and try and define that for any one particular hotel because it varies greatly from one hotel to the next. So the definition should sit with the supplier, but they need to get comfortable with the fact that they can automate this portion of their business and free up what resources they do have to focus on those larger pieces of business that are ultimately going to dictate their recovery. Um, and that is true of the suppliers. And I've also said buyers as well. They are under-resourced. They don't want to focus on these high-touch, low-return meetings. So it's that end of the market. We're looking to try and automate, create efficiencies, drive transparency. And at the same time, let's look at the larger pieces of business and how we transact those. Because I think there's also huge opportunity there to improve the way that we operate. Right. And um, almost last question. Uh, if from the hotel side, the typical answer I'm going to get is, oh, we can't automate meetings because, you know, our revenue manager has to approve every single piece of business that comes through, especially now in the downturn, because if we want to keep rates up, that's going to be crucial, just like Christy was saying of the legal side. And the revenue management side is becoming more and more important. I would almost say that um, in our hotels, we need to have the automation and we also need to have the industry knowledge um, and benchmark information that Noland provides. You know, until now, it was like, oh, that's for the big groups, that's for the big guys. And I, I think we really can't afford that anymore. It's it's critical knowledge. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that just a little bit. And I, I'm saying this is the revenue manager on the call. I actually think we need to reevaluate what we do with groups in general. There has always been this premise that someone books a group and they have a certain number of re rooms and they're gonna get a certain discount because they have said number of rooms. Why? Yes. If nothing else, we have proven during this downturn that leisure demand, and we know that it's going to recede to some extent, that we can drive these rates. Um, I look, I oversaw hotels in Orlando, and during the summer months, there were times that my salespeople were trying to put group rooms in. And I'm like, why? Why? I am literally turning away 
transient business, when we get into the heat of our booking window, because of this crap group business you've put on the books, all for the name of, of meeting your quota. Uh, if they want to come during these dates, there's a premium to come during these days. You want to come in September? <laughs> let's, let's talk about a discount here. But you want to come in July? Um, no. It's a hard no. Or you pay me a 20% premium. So I think that argument is because we're still in the mindset that a group warrants a discount. Right. And it's I would, overall revenue. And it's, we it's, it's over, well, I think it's over. I mean, you make less on the food and beverage and stuff like that. But if we get into charging meeting room rentals, which I actually think automating gets us to a better place of charging meeting room rental, and that is like 90% profit for hotels, we, we take out that human element of I'm a salesperson and I must discount to close a piece of business. And, right. and we get to, I think, truly more profitable business. And I'm going to pick up on what Dan was saying around you're, everybody's working with limited resource. We're hearing it. We work with a company called Conference Direct pretty closely. They're one of the largest meeting planner organizations in the world. And what we're hearing from their, their staff is they're putting out more RFPs like something that they may have put three RFPs on because they just had three hotels they'd like to work with and it was an automated way to do it. They may have to send that same piece of business to 12 hotels to even get a response. And even still, they have to pick up the phone and start calling those hotels. And right now, if they get someone on the phone that can give them rates, dates, and space, and it's in their budget, they just book it. And they're done because they don't know when they're going to get the next person on the phone. So if you think about it from that perspective, that you could take all of these small meetings. And I agree with you, Dan. I'm not defining what small meeting looks like for you because a small meeting for a 5,000 square foot hotel might be 20 people. But a small meeting for a Gaylord hotel might be 200 people. I don't know what that looks like. Work that out yourselves. But if you could get the person who's willing to just book all of that simple stuff online and it comes into your system with just needing a BEO processed and your salespeople can now spend time hunting for new business, dealing right. with the more complex business that is going to come and it is quickly coming, that's how you get to profitability quicker. And I don't think anyone can afford to not do it right now. Right. That, there's Absolutely. a plug for you guys, Dan. I, I think anyone who is not like running to Groups 360 and signing up, you're you're just begging to delay your recovery. Yeah, it's 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 it seems obvious, you know, and it seems incredible how we all took so long to get to this point. Um, well, I mean, if you think about it, after 9/11. Um, everyone, you know, that, that was right at the infancy of the OTAs and yeah. we were sitting in the industry and we thought, oh, this is cool. If I have these extra 10 rooms, I'll throw them up on the OTAs, but no one's going to book them because they want to talk to me. They want to talk to someone. Um, and then 9-11 happened and, you know, we contributed to our own demise there because we just threw these ridiculous rates out there and, and gave them so much inventory. Um, but we've, we've dialed back from that. But we learned that, well, guess what? No one really wants to talk to us if they can do it. And now I get annoyed if I have to call a hotel about a reservation. I'm just like, oh, why does your booking engine not work? So, you know, I feel like that we just we're in that tipping point where I think meeting planners are going to because Susie, that's the president's secretary, does not want to have to call 17 hotels if no. she could just go online and book the 20 person meeting with some tablets on the table, classroom style and some water and mints. And she could do all that and put it on the president's credit card 
and never pick up the phone, I think Susie's going to take that. But we have to commit to it and we have to teach them that. Yes, and I think it comes down to also just start, right? So you don't have to digitize the entire process today. It's not a switch right. from today to tomorrow. It's a transformation, right? And there's a there's a fitting comment I find Joost uh, Dovendans. I hope the last name is pronounced correctly. Uh, he's from the Netherlands. I know Joost. Hi, Joost. Thank you for tuning in. He's from ProPoSales. And he also says um, that having a meeting room IBE, like a booking engine for meeting rooms, will be a crucial piece of the tech stack for a hotel, but for most hotels for a small piece of the business, right? But it's a point to start just to make it actually bookable like your inventory and then responding to requests manually in a fast and effective way requires another crucial piece of technology um, these are the most profitable bookings and shouldn't be handled with build should be ha shouldn't be handled with building pdfs so i mean we heard it in, in the previous sessions as well right we don't want to yeah. send around the 20th version of this pdf where we adjust just uh, line 27 on page 18 and all the other pages are the same so it's just i mean none no one will do that not even your team members and that's also something that you initially mentioned right Dan. like the teams are smaller now the downsizing, but then you also want to keep your stars in the sales team. So don't let them do these mundane tasks and do repetitive, repetitive, really nonsense um, requests. Um, yeah. that's, and that's maybe one of the key learnings. I'd say if you look at the data that we heard from Christy, and then you look at the opportunities you have with technology like Group 360 or many other uh, providers out there, is just look at what processes you have and then think about where is it effective to actually start digitizing and what brings me an ROI, right? And I mean, having data is an ROI already because then you basically know what's happening in your sales department, what many hotels I'd assume wouldn't be even able to say. How many requests did they actually refuse in the past? Well, because I, it was done manually, right? So No, they that? can't because, you know, I worked and I've, I've overseen sales teams and I hmm. every time I would walk into a hotel, the first thing I look at is what the close ratio is. And when I see close ratios above about 85%, that is my, that's when my BS meter goes off and I'm like, okay, so you're only putting in the things that you are 90% certain that are going to close, right? Cool. right? So that means that I, I can't go back to my CRM and look at all of my lost business because there may only be three or four lost business things per person because they only put the stuff they felt good about in there. Um, so you're right. It, it's But if you automate it and you see stuff that you didn't get because they they couldn't get the price. You can now track all that and understand, was there a pain point? Was my price too high? What were the right. reasons that they turned us down? And now you have actionable insight. Um, and, the, uh, and the other thing I wanted to ping on, you were talking about all those mundane tasks. You want to talk about creating a churn rate in your sales staff? Put a hunter over doing mundane little ticky things and they're going to jump. They're going to go find a company that's going to let them go wild and go hunt because that is not where their sweet spot is. So in essence, we're creating our own churn by bogging them down in the details. Yeah. And I, I, I can't not jump on the point that Juice has raised there because it, it's a great one. He's absolutely right. And, you know, when I talk about online booking, we're trying to solve for a fairly small piece of the puzzle here. But Christy spoke about the fact that, you know, you've got to send the RFP today to so many hotels just to secure a response. That is another example of a problem that's just been accentuated through the pandemic because lead spam from a supplier's perspective is one of the biggest challenges we've always had within the groups and meeting space. You know, legacy platforms have just made it so easy to source a high volume of properties. But if you think about it, the lack of transparency in groups and meetings 
has dictated that, well, you need to do that because you've no idea who's got availability for your group and you've no idea what pricing looks like for your group. So you've got to send it to all these hotels. That shameless plug here, but that is something we're trying to turn on its head. We're trying to tell you who's got availability before the point of sourcing. We want to give you pricing guidance to better match you up to the right hotels. And then at the end of the process, we're going to deliver the hotel a more qualified lead. So let's get better information in front of the buyer earlier in the sale process. Let's create a better match and let's stop kind of wasting so much of our time on poorly qualified leads. So that's the piece I spoke about at the beginning that online booking is just one piece of this. The entire way in which the groups and meeting space operates and the RFP process works needs turning on its head. And this is the ideal time to do that. And, and I would argue that those hotels that turn it on its head first are the ones that are going to recover first. And, yeah. and the other, everyone else is going to be left with leftovers. And no one yeah. likes leftovers. No one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they will not be having any team members left, right, in their teams because no one is going to stand it any longer, <laughs> I guess. Okay. So, you know, like, to me as a layman, it really sounds like just professionalizing the entire like business, pro like the profile of this person doing the group sales as well, right? It's becoming more strategic. You have data. You can actually base your decisions upon. You do qualifying of your customers, which probably by now you're just responding to the requests coming in, but maybe it's not even a request that's interesting to your property, as Dan just mentioned. I mean, that goes both sides, right? Why, as a hotel, would I reply to any request coming in? Maybe 10 out of 20 are not even interesting to me at all. And I don't want to spend the time of my sales team answering yeah. requests. But I think over the last 10 years, management companies and ownership groups have created this environment because we stopped hunting. We were only responding to RFPs. So to hit your goal, you had to respond to these RFPs and hope you got it, which meant that you were competing on price in the lowest common denominator. But hey, there were so many RFPs coming in, you hit your numbers and you didn't really care. But we somehow forgot to turn around and go, Dan, you're booking this one event. Do you guys have other events? Are there other people in your organization that are planning? If we do this successfully, would you be willing to make that introduction for me? We stopped we stopped hunting for the business and just tried to farm what was going in. And I've argued this with management companies in the last couple of years that how, what's your repeat percentage of business? And they're like, oh, it's like 50%. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not. And let's talk about why it's not. But, well, they're like, but that group stayed here before. How'd you get the piece of business? Oh, it came in on an RFP. So that wasn't a repeat piece of business. That's just a group that stayed here before that you happened to give the lowest rate to this time. If you, the only way that was a repeat piece of business is if they stayed here, Leah turned around and said, hey, when are you doing this event again? And rebooked it on her own source. That's a repeat piece of business. And we have to go back to our own metrics and reframe how we do those metrics. And we're at a great, unique point in time to reset everything that we do and get some good hygiene on how we track our business and how we draw our business. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Great. Um, Rita, we are at 50 minutes right now. And I mean, it's 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 always amazing to me how fast time passes. <laughs> no, I, I could go on for hours. And this, with every topic you're opening up, there's another topic opening up naturally. Yeah. So, but Rita, would you say there's, an, there's, there's another point you'd like to cover? Um, well, I think I think I just like to close on um, on what we discussed in the last session. Yes or no to hybrid events, and if so, what the way to go about it? We've um, at Great Hotels of the World we partnered up with PSAV 
Um, so now Encore, um, Encore Global as specialists in hybrid events because we felt that at neither we nor our hotels have the expertise to actually create a hybrid event on their own. And, um, and really, we leave that to the specialists. But the reality is many hybrid events haven't fulfilled their promise. And we see face-to-face uh, -face events coming up with sometimes a little bit of hybrid events, but they are twice the work for us team members, right? Because yes. they're in effect duplicating their work, even with the support of a specialist, because it's clearly a completely different um, product, really. And I just wanted to throw this at Dan and Christy to see what your take on, on hybrid events is. So what we've, from talking to both our, our partners with Conference Direct and with a couple of the brands, what we're hearing is corporate meetings, um, the, the RFPs they're getting for 2022, less than 5% actually have a hybrid component. So corporate meetings, they're going back, we've got to do this in person. Um, on the other side, what we're seeing is from an association perspective, they are keeping the hybrid component. And if you think about it, it functionally makes sense. They make money because people pay their dues and attend their educational classes, their annual conference or whatever. So if they can do the hybrid and someone can sit in Omaha, Nebraska, rather than going to Los Angeles and attend the event, they're making some form of revenue. So this is more a cash play to get money back into the coffers. Um, but, you know, they're playing it that if they're a little bit more inclusive on that. And if they're willing to do the lift on that, by all means, go ahead. I've attended a handful of, of hybrid sessions. One was very successful and I thought did a very good job. The other one, you couldn't hear half the people. Um, they didn't do a good job of miking when people were asking questions in the audience. So you weren't hearing that. And you just tended to tune out when, when it got to that point. So, you know, I think there'll be a component of it, but I do think that Zoom fatigue is a real thing and people are just ready to get back in person in someone's face. I attended HSMAI Rock last week. Um, it's in Texas, so half the people weren't wearing a mask, even though it was required. But once you, once the evening was over and we went on to after hour things, all the masks came off. People were chatting. I spent time with you guys last week. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was great to be back in person. But there were about 400 people live in a meeting room and it's probably the most effective thing I've been to in a very long time. It was nice. Right. That's very nice to hear. Yeah. Dan, can yeah. you like. Um... And by the way, they did no hybrid. None whatsoever. Oh, none. You had to physically be in the room or you missed out. I was at HDC in August and they did a hybrid in-person component, but not every session was available for the hybrid. Um, and I had uh, team members that attended and said they were they were actually done fairly well. But the Rock said, nope, we're not doing it. It's in-person only. Well, Come on great. in. Yeah, and I've heard other examples of that extreme where they're saying in order not to dilute what we're trying to get in person, we're not going to offer the hybrid component. Now, I kind of agree with pretty much everything Christy said. I think hybrid, there's, there's going to be a component for certain meetings of hybrid. Um, is it twice as, you know, twice as much resource to run it? I'd argue it's it's far more than that from a planet <laughs> yeah. perspective, both in terms of the resource they need, the investment yeah. that they need to pull it off really successfully. And so putting myself in my supplier shoes, partner with the right partner, Right. know what your technical capabilities are at your location but 
if you if you're going to invest in technology yourself you're then on the hook for keeping that technology updated and relevant and not for me and having staffing that can run the technology and make all the wheels on the bus go round and round. Good luck getting that song out of your head today. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, step out of it. Have a couple of good partners that you work with and give those numbers over and let them go hash that out with with yeah. the um, the partners. Absolutely. Yes. And all right. right. We, so we're almost at an hour now. Yes, we've covered, I think, everything we set out to cover, the trends, um, the data. We had like a seven-page list, so you should understand. <laughs> we did really well to condense this in. <laughs> no, but actually, it's actually very nice because if you if you look back at the data you shared, Christy, and also our discussion now, I mean, it's we, we started in our pre-conversation with challenges, but if I listen to it, to me, it sounds more like opportunities. opportunities. So it's just um, there's a good outlook, actually, too. There's a yeah. lot you can yeah. do and you can get active in within. So I think the most important piece of advice that I have learned in the last four weeks um, was at Rock last week and Lori Keel. Mm -hmm who's the chief commercial officer at Kessler, in her final thing, there were two things that she imparted. One, we might be missing the boat, assuming that 2019 is where we're going to get back to. We might, as an industry, need to understand that a certain percentage of business is just going to wash back, wash out, and it's it, we're not going to get back there. I don't think we're going to get back there as quickly as I would have originally said, and I think there's some wisdom in that, at least not to create self-defeating prophecies and building budgets that assume that because you're going to, I think you'll slough some people from there as well. And then the second thing is get up and get moving. And I, I cannot possibly say what I, I, I think that's the problem. We've been in a torpor for too long, assuming there's no business out there. There is business out there. And the guys that are getting that business are the ones who are out there hustling. It's a very good closing statement. Thank you, Christy. Yes. And also thank you for backing this up with data. So it's not uh, anecdotal only <laughs> what we're sharing. Here. We try. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much. And uh, and Dan, thank you for, for joining us today and sharing your side of the, of, the, of the case. And to everyone in the audience, just make sure to also connect with Dan and Christy and Rita and myself. So if you feel like continuing this conversation one to one, I think they're more than happy to do so. And as you can feel, there is way more to that than just what we covered in this hour. The session we just um, had live here will be on demand uh, later on as well on all the channels of Tech Talk Travel, but also Great Hotels of the World. So watch out for that as a podcast and a video both and um also the slides from christy i'm not sure i'm just i'll send them to you i, I will send Perfect. them to you guys just in just a little bit i just forgot to save it before i right um before the session started so everyone who wants to look again at this like promising data just uh, reach out to us we will we happily share the slides of christy uh, with you and yeah i'd say we'll be back in november rita with a, yes. another my speed session and um to everyone out there have fun automating digitizing your group sales department and thank you for joining us. Any Thanks other closing words? If not, I'd say that's a wrap. Thank Thanks you. Everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. thank you so much. And have a lovely day, remind of the day, evening, morning, wherever you are. And see you soon again. Thank you. Mm.